This morning I need to remember that there are rocks up here. Since I walk around a lot, I may end up landing on some of you in the front, but, but hopefully not. Remembering can be an issue, can't it? Anyone have issues with forgetfulness sometimes? Every hand comes. I, we do things, right, to remember. You put string around your finger, right, to remember something. And what happens when you wake up in the morning? Your finger's black. Thank you, Don. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I know I'm supposed to remember something. I have no idea what it is. And it happens a lot. Sometimes I'll throw my keys in the middle of the floor because I can't leave without my keys. Same thing. And so I walk around for a half hour trying to figure out why my keys are in the middle of the floor. I, I know there's some reason. Um, this morning I came in and during worship and sat with my family and my Bible was there and my sermon used to be there. I have no idea where it went. I, I, I forgot where I put it, so I had to go print it again but because I never found it. And so we forget things. But some things are probably a little more important to remember, remember right? For instance, husbands' anniversaries. Those are a little bit more important to remember. There's a little bit steeper consequences if we forget those. Susie's birthday is coming up. And if I forget that, that has a little bit more of a consequence than if I forget where I put a piece of paper. We struggle with remembering things. And that's why so many times we have memorials, right? To remember. I can remember being in Israel last year and, and, and the year before and visiting the Holocaust Museum. And just one of the most sobering places I have ever been to in my life. And one of their themes was, we will never forget. We will never forget. And I remember walking through the different exhibits and our guide whose, whose grandmother was saved by one of those people that hid the Jews. He says, we will never forget. And I get chills even thinking about that. Because there's something about a memorial that helps us remember. You know, we did the same thing with 9-11, right? The, the theme of 9-11 is never forget. And as the, the Freedom Tower goes up, it's a memorial to what happened. But what's interesting is that's all in, in our normal life, in our normal realm. But the same thing can happen spiritually, can't it? We can forget the, the things that God has done in our lives. We can forget the great ways that He's answered prayer, that He's exercised His power, that He's directed or that He's just put His arms around us and comforted us through a de very difficult time. And in the middle of it, we're like, God is great! Yes, I love God! I'm serving Him! And two months later, when the pressures of life have come in and we get busy and we're on to other things, it's easy to forget. And our faith suffers. It's easy to forget His goodness, His actions, His kingship in our lives. And it's that issue that we come to today in the book of Joshua that, that God is dealing with with the people of Israel to help them remember. To help them not forget. And so to, to start, I just want to look at the problem of forgetfulness a little bit. Because this is something that was true of them. It's true of us. It's true of the human condition. It's easy to forget. So rather than look at Joshua 4 right away, turn back to Deuteronomy 4. One book earlier, Deuteronomy 4. And to set the scene, this is a, a situation where Moses is still alive. He's addressing the children of Israel right before they are about to enter the promised land, right before Moses is about to die. So this is part of his last addresses to the children of Israel. 
And so he's sharing what's important, what God has put on his heart of what's important for the people of Israel. So in Deuteronomy 4, verse 9, and then we'll jump to Deuteronomy 8. But in 4, verse 9, he gives a summary of where he's going with this address. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God. Sorry, I was jumping to Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 4. Forgot where I was. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. And Moses is concerned that this generation will forget what God has done. That they will forget how God has brought them out of Egypt with His miraculous hand. And he's, he's seen it, hasn't he, in his leadership? He's already seen it. They get to the Red Sea. They've been delivered from Egypt. They've seen mighty acts of God. They have a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire leading them. That alone would be like, wow! And what do they say when they get to the Red Sea? What have you done, Moses? You've led us here to die. I want to go back and eat the food of Egypt. And they forgot. They forgot God. And so Moses is used to this. He's used to, he saw it at Mount Sinai when he went up to get God's covenant, the Ten Commandments, this incredible time. And he comes down and they have forgotten God and they're worshiping golden cows. And so it's not in a vacuum that Moses comes to the issue of forgetfulness with the children of Israel and that God addresses the issue of forgetfulness in Joshua 4. Just a few thoughts about forgetfulness. Turn over to Deuteronomy 8. and we'll, we'll, That's a whole chapter on remembering and, and trying to combat forgetfulness. Again, part of Moses' address. In Deuteronomy 8, verses 11-14, to 14, "...take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And the point he's making there, it's easy to forget God when times are good, isn't it? It's easy to forget God when there's plenty, when we're, we have success, because we just don't need God anymore. We do, but in our minds. Just don't need God. And so we start to just enjoy what we have and we forget to rely on God. And so Moses said, you're going to go in the promised land. You're going to have incredible things given to you. Don't forget God. God is the one that gave them to you. It goes on, verses 17 and 18. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Remember someone else that said that? King Neb. Yeah, King Nebuchadnezzar. As he looked over his kingdom, look what I have done! And do you remember what God did to him? Seven years in a field eating grass as a cow. Took care of that. Here Moses is saying the same thing. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and statutes. In 11, but then in 17... Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. 
We forget God when we, when we take credit for what we have, for what we've accomplished. And Moses is saying, you're not the hero here. God is the hero. This is a story about Him and His glory and His might. Quit trying to be the center of it. And finally, the very next verse, 19. It's also in 4.23, but in Deuteronomy 8.19. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. In 4.23, he says much the same thing. Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which He made with you and made and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. Third point that Moses is making is forgetting God leads to idolatry. Forgetting God leads to idolatry. And it makes sense, right? We all, as, as Bob Dylan said, you've got to serve somebody. We all serve somebody, and if we forget God and stop serving Him, something else steps in. And it's idolatry. And this is all right before the children of Israel are about to go into the land. Right before they're about to cross the Jordan. And these are Moses' final instructions to them. Now we know that Israel struggled with this over and over. You can read through Judges and you see this cycle. Yea, God, let's follow God. Things are good. They forget God and fall away. An oppressor comes in and, and, and judges them. Then they turn back to God. God, help us. And then, yea, God. And it's this cycle that goes over and over because they struggled to remember. One author said, the greatest enemy of faith may be forgetfulness. I think that's true in my life. That I forget to make God central. See, forgetfulness is the incubator of pride, of self-reliance, of ingratitude. It's the incubator of sin. When we forget what God has done and who He is, we begin to wander at that moment from our faith. We begin to drift. And we are prone to wander. And so that's the background of what they've just been taught that we come to Joshua 4 with. And and so we see the importance of combating forgetfulness. It has to be something that we're intentional about, about keeping at bay. Intentional about remembering what God has done. And so we come to Joshua 4 and God's commands are, okay, let's be intentional. I am commanding you to remember what I'm doing. Now as we go through this, keep in mind, He is commanding the children of Israel with these rocks. He's not commanding us, so you don't have to have 12 rocks at home. But by their example, we learn how to remember God and how to make spiritual memorials in our own lives that will help us remember. Turn to Joshua 4. So we get back to Joshua, back where we were now that we've sort of went, had a little flashback with Moses. Joshua chapter 4, and, and we see in chapter 3, if you remember where we were two weeks ago, we saw this incredible event where God took them to the uncrossable place and made it crossable. And we, see God, we saw God's power on display that the people would know, that Israel would trust, that the nations would know, that, that Joshua would be exalted. And they took a step of faith and stepped into the water, and God responded with His faithfulness. And even though it was a deep section, even though it was a hard section, God chose to have them cross there so He would be glorified. 
And we come to Joshua 4, and it continues the story. In fact, it recaps it a little bit. And we've gone from, okay, the scene is crossing the Jordan, to now the scene is, how are you going to remember it? And I love this chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters. As we remember what God has done, and I'm challenged by it. So in Joshua 4.1, and we're just going to go through the whole chapter and talk through it, and then we'll come back and, and make some applications and observations. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and these are the men that were designated in chapter 3, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. So it makes sense what he's asking. They've all crossed. They're on the other side. And God tells Joshua, okay, those 12 men that you appointed, send them back in and, and have them go get stones so that we can build a memorial for what I have done today. And we see an immediate obedience. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So he sends them back in. says, we're building a memorial. We're going to remember. And I, I love even the description where it says that you're to, to get the stone on your shoulder. Okay, that, that tells me these weren't pebbles. These weren't like little things you hold in your hand. And, and really, if I'm tasked... Men, you, I think you're going to relate with me. If I'm tasked with going to get a rock that people are going to see and remember... What am I going to do? I'm going to get the biggest one I can carry. Okay, and so they were probably a little bigger than this. Now, a few of these are a little over 50 pounds, and that may be getting close, although they were probably pretty strong. But they went and got significant stones, something they carried on their shoulder, and they brought them back to where they were staying that night. We know they crossed over, and we're going to see that they went to Gilgal, a couple more miles, like two miles from Jericho. I love that. The, the, the town they're about to conquer. Hi. And they're about two miles away and they just stop there and they worship and they remember. So these stones shall be the, to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And we'll come back and dig into some of that instruction when we look at applying it. Verse 8 though, And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Verse 9. And this is an interesting verse because we see a second set of stones. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. We again see the permanence of these memorials. For the priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people. According to all that Moses had commanded Joshua, the people passed over in haste. And you see 
this crossing, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, this crossing is mirroring the crossing of the Red Sea. And, and Joshua is having a Moses moment to the people where God is confirming his leadership. And so throughout this, if you look, you'll see parallels to the, the story of the Red Sea. And here we see that Moses is mentioned and that Moses, and Joshua is in the line of Moses. Now, a, a couple of things here. Some of you with NIV might, might read it a little differently in verse 9. It might say that Joshua set up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan or something like that. And just a, a quick little brief understanding of this verse, people have had trouble with verse 9 trying to resolve it with the story. Because they're saying, well, okay, we're talking about these stones we take to Gilgal, so, so how can we have this other set of stones that Joshua sets up in the middle? Oh, that can't be right. Whenever someone says that about the Bible, that's a problem. Oh, that can't be right. We need to somehow figure out how to make it the same set of stones. And so the, the NIV made a choice. The, the translators of the NIV made a choice. Well, those are the stones out of the middle, and so there's some words missing that we're just going to add in. You'll find that most of the other translations do not add those in. Various authors are, are at various places on this. Um, one author said, well, maybe Joshua set up the stones in the middle, and those were the 12 stones that the tribes took. And so both are true. And we're jumping through all kinds of hoops to avoid the natural reading of the text. And so I've got to tell you, I, I think there were two sets of stones. I think the Bible says what it says, and it means it. And I have no problem with Joshua setting up another set of stones where the priests were in the middle of the Jordan. I think that's pretty cool. Because there's another set of stones. And imagine if you're a father and you have your son and you're camping at Campground Gilgal and, and you see the 12 stones that we're going to talk about and your son says, what are those for? And you tell him the story and then you say, and you know what, son? And I have sons, so I know how this would play with them. You know what, son? There's 12 more in the bottom of the Jordan. I saw them. And, and when, when the Jordan's really low, you might be able to see them sticking out. That's right where the priests were. And you know what every son would do? Really? That is awesome! God is great! And so I think we need to read it as it says. Joshua in verse 9, he sets up another set of stones in the middle of the Jordan. The people obey in verse 10. And we get to verse 11. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over, armed before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. And if you remember, this is back to the promise that was made in chapter 1, where these two and a half tribes had said, we'd like the land on the east side of the Jordan. And they had said that even to Moses when they took him over. And Moses said, okay, but you're not getting out of helping the nation. You still have to send your fighting men over the Jordan. You don't get to rest until everyone gets to rest. College camping trip, we have that for setting up camp, right? Nobody rests until camp is set up. While someone else is working, nobody rests. And that's sort of the principle here. You're going to come over. And this verse is in there reinforcing they obeyed that. They sent 40,000 fighting men. In fact, they went first. Which when you have an incursion into a land, the, the first, the spearhead, that's the most dangerous position. 
They were following through with their commitment, not only to Joshua, but to God. Verse 14, On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. Remember in chapter 3, verse 7, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Our God keeps his promises. There are no promises that fall on the ground and become worthless from the Lord our God. He keeps every one. One of the commentaries that I'm loving with Joshua, the title of it is No Falling Words. That none of God's words fall on the ground vain. And so just these little things, I I, I encourage you to enjoy these little things of the stories where it's tying back to other stories and showing that God is keeping His promises. He was working in so many ways. Verse 15, And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priest bearing the Ark of the Testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest, Come up out of the Jordan. And when the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet, I love this, were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all of its banks as before. As soon as they stepped out, as soon as they came up out out of the, the deep section the waters returned. I think that's significant because some people say, well, this probably was a natural happening. You know, maybe there, maybe there was a rock slide higher up in the Jordan and it blocked it off. And okay, that, that could happen. We have some times in history where that happened. But then how do you explain it returning exactly when they stepped out, out of the water or out of the, the riverbed? See, God is determined to make sure he gets the credit. This is a powerful God, all-powerful God, taking care of His people, going before them, leading them. Let's not attribute that to nature. I think another interesting thing is just seeing the leadership of the priests. They were the spiritual leaders. And they were the first ones in in faith. And they were the last ones out of the risk. And that's important for leadership. Many of you are on boards here or in leadership here great principles of leadership that spiritual leaders are to be the first ones to step out in faith and set the example of that. And then they stayed there the entire time while the people were able to cross and they were the last ones out, the last ones to come to safety. That's servant leadership. That's good leadership. You know, we saw the ferry disaster last week. And one of the interesting stories that I saw was an interview with the captain because the captain was fine. In fact, he was one of the first ones off the ship. A few people were like, what? And he said, well, no, it's okay. In our culture, we don't have the concept of the captain staying until all the passengers are off. No, no, no. Yes, you do. Because that's what it means to be a leader. That's what it means to protect your people. And we see that in the priests. But I can just imagine water flowing back in, children of Israel standing on the shore. What a sight. Can you picture it? You're looking back, the priests and the ark, the presence of God comes out, and boom, the water's back, and you're looking at 
flood stage Jordan River over the ground you just walked through. And in the distance, you see where you were camped just a few hours before. Tell me that doesn't do something for faith and for your reliance on God. Not to mention they couldn't go back at this point. And God was keeping them going forward. But what an incredible story of God's work. Then in verse 19, the people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. And they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho, like I said, about two miles away from Jericho. A couple of significant things about that. The dates help us rely on Scripture. If you're making up things, you don't put verifiable dates in it. But this date is significant because on the tenth day of the first month, you're four days before the Passover. And, and keep in mind, the Passover was a time of remembrance, right? Remembering that God passed over the houses of the Israelites, didn't kill their firstborn, because they killed the sacrificial lamb and put the blood on the doorposts. They had just passed over the River Jordan. And so God is making a connection here. Four days before the Passover was the day that you were to select the Passover lamb that you were to kill so that you could pass over. And that was the day that God said, I want you to pass over the Jordan. And I will make this happen. Oh, coincidence? No. I think it's cool how God is bringing all of these things together for them to remember. Verse 20, And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, we saw this at the beginning of the chapter, when they ask, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which He dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Incredible story of memorializing what God has done. So what can we learn from this? How do we apply this? The story is pretty straightforward. You've probably heard it before. That's great. They, they set up some stones to worship God and not forget. I want to go back through and dig out several verses and ask the question, how can we do the same thing? How can we intentionally stave off forgetfulness? How can we remember what God is doing so that we stay close to Him, so our faith stays, stays strong? And we don't drift and wander. The first thing I want to look at is why even use spiritual memorials? What in this passage does God say He wants to accomplish with these memorials? Who were they there for? The first thing we see in verses 6 and 7 and verse 24, and again we see these repeated at the beginning and end of the chapter, they help us remember God's hand and keep our awe of God. They help us remember God's hand and keep our awe of God. The first thing that they were for was the people. The people that were crossing. Yes, we'll get to the children and we'll get to to the others that, that this was for, but the first thing was, this is for you. Look at verse 6. That this may be a sign among you. And a sign was, was something that was used to be a reminder 
It was some sort of physical, tangible object or event that would convey information to authenticate something else. So let me, let me put that in different words. Basically, it was a, a tangible item that would, re, that would help us remember what God has done. Same word was used of a rainbow after the flood. It was called a sign in the same Hebrew word because every time we see the rainbow, what are we to remember? God's covenant that He will not destroy the earth in a flood again. And so this sign here is something that the people were to remember God, remember His hand. It was a a great encouragement at the beginning of their incursion into the land to remember that God is with them, remember His work. It was going to get tougher. They were going to face battles. They were going to lose relatives. And this was a reminder that no matter the difficulty, no matter how hard it gets, God's hand is powerful. See, it's in the middle of difficulties we often forget too. As time passes, we forget. And our focus becomes the pressures of this life. But for the children of Israel, this pile of rocks was more than just rocks. It was a reminder that God is almighty and He is with them. Jump down to the end of verse 24 and we see that again it's for them. The end of 24, the second half, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. And God says, build a memorial so that way you will be in awe of Me. You will fear Me. You will understand I am God and there is no other. I am all-powerful. And I want to show that in your life. And so God uses spiritual memorials, spiritual markers, I sometimes call them, to build our faith. To help us remember God's power. To help us remember to be in awe of God. Second reason God was telling them to build markers, and this is so important for us today, Visual memorials are effective tools to pass on our faith it's, and to pass on our trust in God to our children. Visual memorials are effective tools to pass on our faith and our trust in God to our children. Moms and dads, who's to teach our children about God? We are. It's our God-given responsibility, our biblical command to teach your children about God. When you rise up, when you sit down, Wherever you go, teach your children about God. And I love this because it's more than just words. It's using some creativity. It says use objects. In this case, use a pile of rocks. And use it to teach your children that God is powerful and He works and He is real. Verses 6 and 7 again. We'll hit the same two sections. 6 and 7. This, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. You see the children, you see the whole people again. Jumping over to 21. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. 
For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which He dried up for us until we passed over. And so we see that spiritual memorials, spiritual markers become a tool to pass on our faith to our children. Now, they don't pass on the faith. The rocks didn't. What were the rocks designed to do? Make them ask. So mom and dad could do the teaching. I love that. Because you know with kids, as soon as you have them asking questions, as soon as you have their curiosity up, what happens to their retention? Man, it's there. They're with you. They're remembering what you're saying. And so God says, build these so your children can hear. The key for this to work is we have to be prepared to tell of God's greatness. We have to be prepared to answer the question and ready and willing to stop whatever is so important in our busy schedules to answer the question, moms and dads. Because when they ask, what do these stones mean? The answer can't be, I I don't know, God did something a while back. God's really cool. Okay, let's have dinner. No, they were tied to specific events, to specific stories. And so it says, when they ask you, what are you to tell them? This is what happened. Let's sit and talk. The most incredible thing happened at at Jordan. I was there. And then it says, and I'm going to tell you about the Red Sea. I wasn't there, but, but my dad was there. And you're building faith through a bunch of rocks. Be prepared to tell of God's greatness, to pass it on to your children. This is an effective means of teaching kids, but we have to be willing to step up to the plate. Third, who's it for? Why is God asking them to do memorials? Look at verse 24. So that all of the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. This wasn't just about them. It wasn't just about their children. This was about the entire world seeing the glory of God. Because others would come through and they'd see these rocks. And those rocks represented not only what God has done, but that the children of Israel were acknowledging that God was behind it. That they were, they were sacrificing to Him. That they were worshiping Him for what was there. It allows the world to see God. Again, if we're willing to tell the story. If we're willing to say why. There was a story of a, a, a father and mother who decided to, to, to try to live this out and take, take God up on this example. And so in their living room, they put a big pile of rocks. And not something you see in a lot of living rooms. And so every time visitors would come over, and they had a lot of non-Christian visitors, almost every time, about halfway through the night, not right away, but you could see them looking at the rocks throughout the night. And about halfway through, they'd finally say, okay, So what are the rocks for in the middle of your living room? And the dad would say, you know what? That's a great question. Let me tell you what they're for. Because for me, they remind me of when I was was mired in my sins and my life was just a mess because of sin and God rescued me. And he'd share his testimony. And they asked. And God was glorified to the world. See, visible memorials, if we, if we are intentional about where we place them, how we place them, and what they represent, become great witnessing tools. Great tools 
to help people hear our story and hear what God has done. When people come into your homes, is there anything there that would make them ask questions? That would make them ask about your faith and ask about God? Don't be afraid of those questions. Mark and I were out picking up these rocks at a building supply. And um, the, the workers were helping us, and his, he asked the question, what are these for? Sort of weird. You're only getting 12 rocks. You're very specific on those. They need to, you're trying to find the biggest ones. Doing some landscaping. And at that point, I had a choice. Ah, you know, I just need them for a project. Rather, I said, you know what? I'm teaching on a, a, the story of Joshua crossing, taking the children of Israel across the Jordan. And they took 12 stones to remember what God had done. So we're going we're gonna to show that on Sunday. And he said, wow, that's really cool. You know what? I haven't been to church in a long time, but I just started reading the Gospels. Can you, can you answer a couple questions? And for the next 10, 15 minutes, we talked about Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He's only through Luke. But he's through Luke. <laughs> and I pray that he finds Christ. Because I was willing to answer some questions about some silly rocks. Are we building those kind of memorials that make people ask questions? Visible things that may seem a little weird. I know all of my illustrations sometimes seem a little weird. But the visual connected to the, the intellectual is powerful because it helps it stick. So those were the three groups of why God commanded them to build memorials. For them to encourage their faith for them to be able to pass on their faith to their children, for them to tell a lost world about who God is. So how do we do this? How do we actually try to put this into practice? And there's some things in the text that I think are helpful ideas. Again, these aren't commands, but I think it's great examples. The first one is, is whenever you see God work, find a way to remember it. Sort of obvious statement of the day, right? Whenever you see God work, find a way to remember it. Do you know that this story is not the first time that they used stones to remember what God had done? As a matter of fact, if you read through the Old Testament looking for it, you're going to find many different times where something happens and they set up a stone to remember. Jacob had his vision. He sets up a stone and pours oil over it representing worship to remember. In Exodus 24.4, this is right after Moses comes down from Sinai. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. In 1 Samuel 7, jumping forward in time, the, the Israelites are in the, in the land. They're fighting the Philistines. They had just seen a battle that was won by God. And in verse 12 of 1 Samuel 7, then Samuel took a stone and set it up at Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. And Ebenezer means a stone of help. And he sets up this big stone to remember that God won the battle for them, that God helped them, that it wasn't them and their power. God did it. And it's called an Ebenezer. It's not just something out of the Christmas carol. It's a stone of remembrance to remind ourselves that God is God and we are not and we need Him. But he is there. 
Whenever you see God work, find a way to remember it. We see that throughout the Old Testament. The key to this is I think we are out of practice of seeing God work. It's hard to see God work, isn't it? Because especially in Western culture, what do we, what do, we do with anything that happens? We try to explain it away and rationalize it away. And, and so we have to learn and train ourselves to see God at work. And the first part of that is understand that God is sovereign. We talked about the attributes of God. The sovereignty of God means He is orchestrating all things for His glory. He has a plan. And He is following His plan. In fact, we need to understand our sovereign God is working His plan from before we were born. The psalmist says, Your eyes say to my unformed body, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And I say that because, yeah, we can rationalize everything away. Oh, this is all just happening by coincidence. With a sovereign God, it is not happening by coincidence. And if we rationalize things away and say that's just the way the world works, we are denying the sovereignty of God. We need to learn to see God's hand in His plan because He's active. I put down some questions there to just help. These are questions. I went back and looked through some of my spiritual markers. Um, one of the ways I do it to keep them permanently is I have a, a document on my, on my computer right on the desktop there. And I went back and I was reading through stuff from my high school years and college years of when I saw God work. And it was incredible. But it was answering some of these questions. When did you accept Christ? What circumstances surrounded it? How did God draw you to Himself? What were you saved from? Were there any significant situations that caused major spiritual growth? When have you seen God answer prayer? And again, these are all just different ways of jogging our minds to say, oh, I see what what God is doing. How did you draw near to God in difficult times? How did He help you through? Sometimes we only look at times of plenty and good times. Have you seen God direct and or work in significant ways in your life? Any major life changes? Have you seen any miracles in your life? What events or experiences have brought you to the place where you can minister the way you you do now? Those are all spiritual markers and things that we should be commemorating. Take some time this week and go through those questions and answer some of them. And say, do I need to build some piles of stones for some of these? Second principle out of verse 2. Did you notice who was getting the stones? One from each tribe, right? One man from each tribe. And the idea here was to show the unity of getting everyone involved. Giving ownership to the different tribes. It wasn't just Joshua. I think a great example for us is that we should get the whole family involved in these things. We should get the church family involved in these things. There's a sense of, of unity as we talk about what God is doing together. And I'd like to t- take a moment and practice this this morning. I'd like 12 men to come up for help with the rocks. I'm not going to make you talk in front of people. I'll ask others to do that. But 12 men, if you could just help me with the rocks. And, and let's, let's make a pile of rocks. Um, come on up. As you come up, stand behind one of the rocks. So that way we know when we have 12. How are we doing? 
Again, I'm not going to embarrass you. We're just going to build a pile of rocks. I know sometimes people are afraid to volunteer because what's he going to do? Um, how are we doing on count? One more. Joshua, thank you. Glenn, do you want that one? Let's just gra- grab your rock and let's come over on that, that part of the platform. And let's make a pile of rocks together. And as we're doing this, already be thinking, what could this represent? What is God doing? What has God done? Get the whole family involved. Let me just have a couple of you share. What is something that you, what is a way that you have seen God work in your life? Again, briefly. So just a couple sentences. K. Okay? Through all your surgeries and having Joseph, you saw him answer prayer. Okay? Bringing you to a, a family, a church family of believers that can encourage and support you in the faith. Someone else. Proclaim his goodness. Difficult times, challenging times have been the greatest times of growth. So true. Couple more. Yeah. Big answer to prayer. Some would call that coincidence. I don't believe. It, it was God. Those are the kind of stories that we need to be tying to memorials in our our life and be willing to share. Just let me run through the others real quickly. Use something that directly reminds you of God's work if possible. Where did they get the stones? Out of the middle of the river. Would it have been the same if they found 12 stones at Gilgal? No. They, they took something that represented exactly what God is doing. And when you have a memorial, if, if you have something, tie a specific event to it. it. Yeah, this could be generally God is good, but if this means this is when God answered this prayer, and this means this is when God answered this prayer, that is so much more powerful than, than living in generalisms. Number four there, find things that will make others ask questions. We've already talked about that a little bit. Make your kids ask questions. Make others ask questions. So they need to tie to it, but it's okay if they're a little odd. I cling to that because it makes people ask questions. Number five, use markers that are visible and lasting. And as we read through the story, I stress that, that this will be a memorial to you forever. Those stones are still there to this day. Visible and lasting. You know, a great example of that is your wedding ring. It's visible. It's lasting. It's a reminder of our vows. It's a reminder of our commitment. They're 24 hours a day. And finally, remember the markers we already have. Remember the markers we already have. A couple come to mind. God's Word. What tells us about the wonders of God? His Word. That is one of our spiritual memorials. Another thing that, that to remember is communion. We celebrate the Lord's Supper every month. Do you remember what the words of Jesus were? Do this in remembrance of me. It's about remembering. It's the same theme that Joshua 4 is part of. These are things that remind us of who God is because, quite frankly, we need reminders. I need reminders. Or we drift and we forget. 
I'd like to end this morning by singing a song together. Worship team, come on up. If you would stand with us. Let me read verses 2 and 3 of Come Thou Fount. Here I raise mine Ebenezer, and that's the stone of help, the pile of stones that refer us to, to God and what he has done. Hither by thy help I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Then he says what the Ebenezer's for. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Anyone going to raise any Ebenezer's this week? I challenge you, find something, even if it's one thing this week, to commemorate what God has done and put it somewhere in your house or in your office somewhere. In the back, we have some little rocks. If you want to take one of those, you can. It doesn't have to be a rock, though. It can be anything. But maybe the rock is something you can put on your desk and people will be like, what's the rock for? And be prepared with an answer. But let's be a congregation that remembers what God has done and remembers it visibly so God can use that. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, oh, we come and worship you this morning. You are a God that was faithful to Israel and you still are to us. You're a God who kept your promises to Israel and you still do for us. You are a God who who showed his power and you still have that same power. And Lord, we worship you and we follow you and we remember you. Forgive us for times that we have forgotten. Forgive us for times that we have taken our own credit for what you have done. Help us to always be directing people back to you and finding creative, incredible ways to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.